want to read the words to that song again. Draw me close to you, Lord. Never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. Lord, because you are my desire, no one else will do. Because nothing else could take your place. To feel the warmth of your embrace, Lord, help me find the way and bring me back to you. And that's my prayer this morning. I know that's God's heart for all of us. And even though some of us might think we're near to his heart, he wants to draw you even closer to his heart. He wants to bring you in more into his very heart. He's not satisfied. He wants everything you are. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your thoughts. He wants all of your strength, everything that pertains to your life. He wants all of your soul, those hidden places that you don't let anyone in, whether because of past hurts, whether it's because you're afraid for someone to know you in that inner secret place of your heart. That's where God is wanting to come, in all of His fullness. But we have to yield that to Him. We have to yield our souls. We have to yield our hearts. We have to yield our minds. We have to yield all of our strength to Him. And what I want to look at this morning is the whole idea of what it means to be pleasing to the Father. It really is what God has already been speaking this morning. But I want to read a verse out of John chapter 8, starting here in verse 28. And Jesus, speaking to the religious people of his day, said these words to them. And he was talking about when he would be crucified. And Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am He. And, and He knew what He meant by that. Messiah, the one to come. You will know I, I am He, that I do nothing of Myself. But as My Father taught Me, I speak these things. And He who sent Me, the Father, is with Me. And the Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that are pleasing to Him. And when we think about the life of Jesus from His inception, where the Word became flesh in a little baby, like Eli, it just amazes me when I look at a newborn baby to think that God came and clothed Himself in such delicate flesh and entrusted himself to mankind. It's a picture of the vulnerable, loving heart of God that he would do that. His whole life 
from, from the moment of his birth until he died on that cross and rose from the dead was a testimony that everything he did, everything he said, every person he healed, when he laid his life down for our sins, everything he did pleased the Father. And there was a verse I was reading this week that just struck my heart. It just kept reverberating over and over and over again. It's found in Isaiah chapter 53. And it's the verse where it says, it pleased the Father to bruise Him. Well, I want to be pleasing to God. It pleased the Father to bruise Jesus, to crucify His Son. It pleased Him. And we're going to see that word please doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. He didn't enjoy it. He did not enjoy it. But yet it pleased Him to bruise the Son for our sins. Who here wants to please the Father in all things? I know I do. I mean, if we truly believe the report that it talks about that in Isaiah 53, and we truly understand what God has truly done for us in sacrificing His only begotten Son because of our sin, Romans 12 tells us the reasonable response to that would be to give ourselves a living sacrifice. Just give up our whole lives, the rest of our lives, to please Him, to do His will. Whatever it might be, even if it means my own crucifixion. Nothing less will he be satisfied with. We heard that word. He's not satisfied with nothing less than that. It's our reasonable service. Because God's plan is to have a people called out ones that He's called out, that He has separated unto Himself. Those who have learned to abide in His love, the relationship, the love that He revealed to us in Christ when He did the will of the Father. It was a pure heart of mercy and love of the Father so that we could once again abide in that love that Jesus and the Father abided in. That's what Jesus prayed for us. A people who are one with Him. A people who can manifest His life in the earth. A people who can bear fruit for the glory of God. John 15 people. John 15 people. Our problem is we're not going to always see pleasing our Heavenly Father the way we need to because there's a greater meaning behind that than we we really understand. Um, When we say, yeah, I want to be pleasing to God. I don't think we understand the actual depths of that, what it means to please God with our lives. It really is what we've been hearing already. It means everything. It means giving ourselves as that living sacrifice. 
And there's a, a wonderful example of this that I want to look at because God called a man. He called him out because God had a plan for this man. And through this man's seed, through his offspring, would come Jesus, the Messiah. And so God called this man out of the world. He called him unto himself. And this man followed God. But ultimately, when God calls us, we all come to a place where He leads us up the same hill, the same place where Jesus was crucified to us. And we have to pick up our cross. And we have to take ourself and bring it to that place of crucifixion and lay it on the altar. Everything so that God's blessing and purpose and plan can come through our lives. And, and that's what God was after in this account we're going to look at in the life of Abraham. In Genesis 22, now just think about this, fathers. It's Father Day. Father's Day. This doesn't look like a very good father, right? That would do something like this, but yet we understand the Father's heart is not always how we perceive it to be. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And I will just say to you, God will test every son whom he receives. God will scourge every son whom he receives. That God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That's a picture to me of a deep, deep surrender. This is not some light thing. This wasn't go take one of your sheep. One of your lambs, and you know, go where I tell you to do and offer him as a sign. No, take your only son, the son that your whole life is wrapped up in, the son that is your heir, the son that represents everything that you are and will carry on your, your legacy, your name. Everything you are is vested in this son. Even my promise to you, take him. And offer him up as a sacrifice. What? You know, God doesn't all the time go that far with us, does he? No, he, he just goes after the little things in our lives. Hey, I want you to surrender that thing. Hey, I want you to stop doing that. Hey, I want you to give me more of your time. Oh, come on, man. Hey, I want all your money. Well, hold on. I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we bargain with him. We bargain with him. Oh, okay, Lord. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some time. Okay, Lord, I'll give you some of my resources. Okay, God, I'll give you some of my life. But that's not the call. The call is, no, take your Isaac, take everything that you are, and bring him 
to the mountain that I'm going to show you and offer it as a living sacrifice. It's the same thought of Romans 12. So Abraham arose. Now, did he have a, a blissful night of sleep after that? I don't think so. I don't think he slept at all. I think he wrestled with God over that. But I think at the end of the day, he said, Nevertheless, not my will, Father. I'll do this. So he went early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose. He went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. He had to go. There was practical things he had to do. And then he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder. Interesting word. And worship. Because that's what we're doing when we give ourselves to him. We're worshiping him. We're giving him the worship that he deserves. And we give him our lives that way. And then I will come back to you. So Abraham took the word of the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And we're getting a picture here of our Heavenly Father when he laid the cross on his son, Jesus. He had to carry the wood that would consume his life. He had to bear a burden that the Father laid on him. You understand, it's all a picture. It's all pointing to something greater. He laid it on his son. He bound, sorry, um, he laid it on Isaac's son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. I want to just say um, we see that place as a place of death and suffering but this is what I want to say to you you know what God sees? it's the place where the supernatural happens it's the place where God's able to bring forth his glory and his plan and do things that man can't do it's, it's where miracles happen. So Isaac said to his father, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire, the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? What's this like for this father? Knowing what he's going to be doing. Knowing the knife in his hand. Is going to be put in a little while to that very throat that's saying, Daddy, where's the lamb, Daddy? I mean, fathers, just imagine that. Your son looking at you with tender eyes saying, Father, where's the lamb? And there you are holding a knife and fire. And you know what you're about to do. 
I want to talk to Abraham because I think Abraham has insights into what the, the, our Heavenly Father went through that most don't have. And I was thinking about that. What was it like for Abraham when he was peering over the portals of heaven? And I, I don't understand all that, but, you know, it says there's a cloud of witnesses watching. So I think all heaven stopped and was looking possibly while Jesus was being crucified. And all of a sudden, maybe Abraham's thinking, the Lord will provide. That's what he meant. His own son? Jesus? And all the heavens were in awe and wonder. How could this be? This is beyond our understanding what's happening here. And it's all talking about your salvation, what God did for you and me. So I want to talk to Abraham. I think he had a little more insight into it. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He didn't understand it then, I don't think, but he was prophesying. He was speaking of another lamb to come. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar, and there he placed wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son. He laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Now I know you understand. And, and we understand from the Scriptures that this was accounted faith to Abraham. And it tells us in Hebrews as well that without faith we can't please God. So if I want to be pleasing to God in all things, I have to have faith like Abraham. who Even at this point, believe God will provide. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Well, let me go back because he says, I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. See, we can say we have faith in God, but when we withhold from him, do we have faith in God? And we're going to see that James says that's impossible when we say we have faith and there's no action behind it. Abraham's faith acted upon what he believed to the point that he even offered up his only begotten son, his only son, who, which he loved dearly. So Abraham lifted his eyes, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, and he took the ram. He offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. God provided a substitute. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. 
as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And it was provided in that same place or across a hill in the same area there. Jesus died on a cross. The Lord provided. And then it says in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. And there's a verse, I think it's in Malachi, where, where the Lord is saying, test me, test me, test me. See what I do if you don't put all that you have on my altar. See what I'll do for you if you put everything on my altar. Test me. And Abraham finds out what happens when we do that. You have not withheld your son, your only son, so blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Meaning the Messiah, Jesus, would come. Amazing! Because Abraham obeyed, didn't hold back, not even his only child. God enlarged His promises to him. And I can go on and on about that, but I don't want to make that my focus this morning. Abraham experienced his test in the offering of his son, Isaac. It was in God's plan to find a man to do his will. And Abraham was called to follow God. He went wherever God told him to go. He did whatever God told him to do. wasn't always perfect, yet... When he was ultimately tested, he gave it all to God. And God's plan was able to come forth through his life. It said he feared God. God found a man who feared him, who was willing to obey him, even if it meant sacrificing his own son. That's what it means when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It means I pick up my cross. It means I lay everything about my life on that same altar. It means I go to the place where God is telling me to go. I do the things God is telling me to do, and I lay it all on His altar. <clears throat> That's what true faith in God does. In James 2, <clears throat> that I referenced to a little bit earlier, he says in verse 19, you believe that there is one God. And, you know, there's so many people that can say, I believe in God. There's so many people that will say, I believe in Jesus. <clears throat> there's so many people that say, I'm a Christian. But James says, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works his faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. I want to be a friend of God. I want to be pleasing in his sight. God is still looking for people to be his friends. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then he said, you are my friends. You are my friends if, if you do whatever I tell you. If you do whatever I tell you. Again, Abraham was a friend of God. God shared his heart. He shared his thoughts with him. God wants to do that with you. He really wants to share his heart with you. He really wants you you to know his thoughts. What he thinks, how he sees you. But nothing could have, could have compared with the revelation, again, of the Father's heart when Jesus was crucified. There's no greater expression of the Father's love than watching him bruise his son. And that's, that's why that verse got me. Because the more I thought about it, the more I meditated on it, just the reality of a father, Father God, which you understand, Jesus is literally Himself. We, we don't, can't wrap our heads around the Trinity, but it's a part of who He is. The Holy Spirit, they're three in one, but yet they're all separate persons. It's beyond human comprehension, but it's God inflicting wrath on Himself, basically. You understand, everything we see, <clears throat> Jesus going through, the horror of, of taking our sin upon Himself. It's the Father basically inflicting Himself. And He's pleased with it. Again, I don't understand that. But it's because His love is so pure. He loves at the expense of Himself. Even to that degree. Do you understand? And, and you know what? He was thinking of you when He did it. He, he was thinking of you. He placed such a value on your soul that He was willing to do that to Himself. That's what needs to be real to us. When you understand, there's no wrestling then. There's no, well, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. It's Isaac. I don't know if I can give this up. I don't know if I can give you this or that. There's no wrestling with God when we understand that love that surpasses all understanding, that I can't even understand it, why He would do that. There's no other explanation except that He loves us. That's it. He loves us. He loves you. There's no other explanation for it. And he does it for his name's sake. You know why? Because the devil is constantly telling 
us and mankind that he's not like that. That's the lie. He's not good. He's not a loving father. He just wants to control you and he's like a despot. He just wants to rule over you. You don't have to live under his rule. That's the lie that has permeated all of mankind. It still comes to us in many different forms. And that's why we have to constantly remind ourselves, no, Father, you gave your Son for me. And we have to look at Jesus and and consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners. And we have to remember that it was the Father's sword. It was the Father directing people. It was the Father inflicting upon His Son the punishment for our sin, even though He used people and allowed the enemy to, to have His way with Him. Our salvation was the result of Jesus always doing those things that please the Father. Because Hebrews 10 tells us it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared. That's why I came. That's my whole purpose. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. And and I'll just say here that doing all things to please the Father, when it says the Father, it pleased the Father, it's not a good English word there. The original Hebrew would really just be he did what God had already ordained. He did what God had already willed. He did the pleasure of God. In other words, His will. That's more what it means. Not like God was enjoying it. He pleased the Father. He did His will. Something He had already decreed before the foundations of the world. To do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. And then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's in Isaiah 53.10. He has put him to grief. Meaning the Father. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Speaking of us, all those who would truly believe and put their faith in him. He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. That one statement, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, um, reveals the Father's heart to us. It pleased the Lord. In other words, he was determined to do it. It was his plan. 
It wasn't sometimes how we get it in our minds, this innocent son that this angry father had to take his wrath out on. It's not like that. There's a cooperation going on there. They're cooperating together in the divine will to bring about our salvation. It's not two different personalities. It's the same God of love working through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who empowers Him to do it. That's what that means when the dove comes upon Jesus that is baptized as He's giving us the picture of what we should be when we are baptized, when we are giving ourselves to God. The Holy Spirit came upon Him, anointed Him to do the works that God had already preordained for Him to do. And He immediately begins to heal the sick, to to preach, to to give the good news, to raise up disciples, but ultimately go to the cross and die to our sins. And, And humanly, I believe it's not possible unless He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's not possible for us unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But yet, that's the promise we have from God. It pleased Him. So great was the Father's love that He bruised the Son of His love to save rebellious sinners such as you and I. He made us alive who were dead in trespasses, Ephesians 2 tells us, in which we all walked according to the course of this world. Among whom we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. We were all by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Because of His great love with which He loved us. So why did He die for us? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And it's a love that your mind, your human understanding cannot grasp the totality, the fullness of it. We get tastes of it here and there. We get little glimpses of it. But even that is enough to say, Lord, I'm yours. I love you, God. Take my life. I've tasted. I've seen. I understand. But we're only tasting droplets. We're only tasting Dim views, dim sights of Him. That's why it says when we see Him, when we really see Him as He is, we're just going to become like Him. We're just going to be totally caught up in Him. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. We didn't do anything. He determined it before the foundations of the world. And and Jesus agreed with the Father. I'll do it, Father. Prepare a body for me, Father. I'll go. They were in agreement. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They were all in agreement. It's by grace. We've been saved, raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
well, wait a minute. James said, if my faith don't have works, it's dead. Right. They're both agreeing. There's not a contradiction there. Works cannot save us. But if we're truly saved, there'll be an evidence of it, and it will show itself by works. That's all they're saying. That's it. If we really understand what we were saved from, if we really understand the love of this Father that would give His Son, that would bruise His own Son because of my sin, and you can read Isaiah 53 and say, that was me, it's because of me, it's because of my sin. All of that happened to Him. I want to live the rest of my life to please Him, to do His will. I want to lay my life on the altar just like Abraham did. Again, doing things to please Him isn't necessarily what we think it would be. It has to do more with the idea that I'm doing those things He's already willed that I should do. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in them. So when God saves us, it says, right, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. Our bodies aren't our own anymore. But you know, God doesn't just take us take our bodies unwillingly, dragging us, kicking and screaming to do His will. It's a relationship of love. It's a, it's a reciprocation of understanding the love that He's given me. So I offer myself to Him, and then He gladly takes me. And He molds me, and He shapes me more and more into the image of His Son. So that I can be the Word made flesh just like Jesus was, so that I can represent Him now on the earth, so that I can be His hands and feet, so that He can work through my life the same works of God that Jesus did, that Jesus said we would do if we would believe. But He can't do it through an unsurrendered life. So He's looking for people that understand the Father's love, that understand, that aren't holding back anything from Him. That was the call this morning. That we should walk in them. That we should live holy lives. Hebrews 13 says in verse 20, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. It pleases the Father when we, through the Spirit, offer our lives up as a living sacrifice. Why does it please Him? Why did it please Him to bruise Jesus? Because He wanted people to know Him. Salvation is to know Him, is to know who our Father in Heaven and who our Creator really is. That's what God wants. He wants to reveal Himself to people. 
And He uses our lives just like He used Jesus. As, just as Jesus, we can look at Him. We can watch if Jesus told His disciples when they asked Him, Jesus, when will You show us the Father? And He says, Philip, I've been with You so long and You don't see Me? It's, it's, it's funny. He says, You don't see Me? Everything I do, Philip, everything I am, my whole life, I, it is the Father. It's the Father speaking through me. Everything I do, it's Him. When you see me, Philip, you see the Father. And so as He's hanging on the cross, He can say, when you see me hanging here for you, you see the Father. And God's looking for us to be willing to take that same pathway. To say, Lord, You've prepared this body to do Your will. And Lord, I understand your sacrifice, which you did for me. I've already been given a living hope. I know where I'm going. But Lord, the rest of my time, while I'm here on earth, just like Jesus had a time, and he says, while it's day, I must do the, the Father's will. Lord, the rest of my time here, Lord, I want my life now to be pleasing to you. I want people, when they look at my life, to say, that's the Father. Is that what God is like? My words, my actions, everything about my life should be pointing people to God. And it happens through our death. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested through us. Okay. I'm going to finish with this. What would motivate us to want to even do this? What could possibly motivate us to want to do that? Crucify ourselves. Forsake everything for God. Give up the rights to our lives. Every, that means everything. Nothing is yours anymore. Everything. It's all or nothing with God, I'm telling you. If you want to experience God, if you want to know His oneness, if you want to know His heart and the secrets of God, if you want to be used by Him, it's all or nothing. And I could, the list can go on and on and on if you want to be free, if you, you want to have all the benefits of the gospel, it will take nothing less than a full surrender. Why would I want to do that? Well, there's only one reason. I love Him. And I love Him because He's revealed my, His love to me. That's the only reason. I wouldn't even know love if He didn't reveal His love to me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it's the love of Christ that compels us and we judge thus that if one die for all, if God did what He did to Himself, to His own Son, for me, for you, then those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. That's basic Christianity, 101. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 there's no true love to Jesus in the heart except that which comes from the Father and is revealed in Jesus. From this overflowing fountain of infinite love 
all of our love must spring. You understand you don't have it in yourself. I don't have it in myself. Love, then, has for its parent the love of God shed abroad in the heart. But after it is divinely born, it must be divinely nourished. So here's the key. Here's the problem. This is why people take back their Isaacs. Maybe they truly come to it. Maybe the Lord somehow breaks into their world and unveils the cross and they're getting a glimpse and they experience the love of God and they come to an altar and they say, God, I'm giving you my life. But the problem is it doesn't go deep enough. And for some, the cares of this life come in and they, they smother the reality of that. For others, the devil just comes and snatches. For others, trials and tribulations come. And because they're not being rooted and grounded as love, ah, you're not good. I thought things would get better. I'm counseling a guy in prison and he found out this week, we prayed for him on Wednesday, Nothing we try to do worked. He's got to stay where he's at. His family's being evicted. Everything got denied. All the places we were trying to get him in, he's basically just got to stay in jail where he's at. And, and that's that. And we prayed that God would just take care of everything for him and get him out. And, you know, we had our plan. You know what blessed my heart more than anything? He still wants to talk about God. He still turning to God in the midst of it, even though it's hard. And I, and I took him through the story of Joseph. I said, you know, Joseph did everything right, but it was God's plan. Joseph did what pleased the Father. It didn't look fair or right in, in human wisdom, but God had a plan because Joseph chose to please God in all the situations, even when he stayed in prison. And, and interpreted a dream, and the guy forgot him. He spends another two years there. Talk about someone that could have got bitter and said, you're not good. I've done everything right. And that's what he was saying to me on the phone. I'm finally doing everything right. Why is this happening? I said, Ray, I don't know, but I know one thing. God is good, and he's got a plan, and he loves you. He knows what your family needs. He knows what you need. And you need to start asking him, God, how do you want to use me right here where I'm at? See, the devil's right there. and He's not good. See? See? He's not good. He didn't answer your prayers. Yeah, see, he's forsaken your family. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. That plant that God puts in the soul has to be nurtured. As love comes from heaven, it must feed on heavenly bread. It cannot exist in the wilderness unless it is fed by the bread from on high. Love must feed on love. The very soul and life of our love to God is His love to us. So, the way to please Him is to love Him. You want to please God? Love Him. And Jesus said it this way, You shall love the God, Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You want to be pleasing to God? Do that. But then you got to ask yourself, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I'll just kind of generalize it, but to love God with all your heart means He 
is the treasure of your heart. Okay? God gave us emotions, okay? And, and He wants you to enjoy Him. He wants you to love Him with everything you have. That's why we encourage you to let loose in worship. Do you love Him? Show Him. Get emotional. It's not a bad thing. You know, people love other things. I remember uh, watching a thing uh, years ago. The Steelers won the, the Super Bowl, and this guy's screaming, Yeah! The Steelers won the Super Bowl, and he said, This is better than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said those words. But it's such a picture of us when we can rejoice in other things and, and glory and treasure in other things, but yet we're afraid to get emotional for Jesus. To show our love, our affection for Him. Our gratitude because He's the treasure of our heart. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He's everything to me. So you guard your heart. You guard it from other things that, that would lure you away to treasure. You guard it from those things. You keep feeding it the right things. And then you love Him with all your mind. And that's simply to just continually fill your mind with the thoughts that draw you closer to Him. Not things that draw you away from Him. Get in the Word. Meditate on it. Look at Him. Stare at Him. Love Him over it. Love Him with all your strength. And that really means just give the best of everything you are to Him. Your time, your resources, everything. Everything about your life, you give it to Him. Your best. You know, we do a lot of things. We give Him our leftovers. With all your strength means He gets your best. The best of your time. The best of your, your resources. The best of everything about your life. He doesn't get leftovers. That's what it means, all your strength. And then, with all your souls... I kind of alluded to this a little bit, is to love Jesus with the very core of who you are. Even those places that are untouchable to everyone else, those hidden, hollow places within each one of us. And I've seen that a lot. You know why? A lot of us have been hurt. We've had bad experience, whether it's fathers, mothers, or just life. In general, we had a situation yesterday where a mom was sharing in front of her son about how she just had to put a restraining order on her, his dad. And you could see the sadness, the sorrow in this little boy's mind. So if this little boy isn't nurtured in the things of God and doesn't understand who his help, Heavenly Father is, he will build up walls to protect himself. He will make a place where no one can go in because he's not going to get hurt again. And we do that. And because we do that, we, we keep God out of that place that needs healing. That we need him to come in and show us, I'll be a father to you. I'll be a husband to you. I'll be a friend to you. I'll heal that hurt. I'll be the embrace you long for. I want to be that for you. But you have to let me in to those places that you keep everybody out of. Sometimes your own spouse, your children, those closest to you. 
That's what it means. The world needs to see the Father's heart. We are His vessels prepared for that use. He's still looking for those who have believed the report, who want to give up their lives to please Him in all things. Even our own death, if that's what it takes. So I don't know where we're all at this morning, but I know where I'm at, kind of. God's always wanting more of me. And maybe God is or has been speaking to you about areas of your life where you're just still not laying things down. And, and I think a lot of it sometimes because you're not looking at Him enough. You're not understanding how good He is. How much He loves you. The, the, the reality of what He's done for you. If you would meditate more on that, nothing would be hard. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are laboring and are weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. My burden's not hard. It's light. You make it hard because you don't understand who I am. You have the wrong idea of who I am. I'm kind. I'm merciful. I love you. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to multiply. I'm trying to bring forth my fruit in your life. I want you to know the joy of abiding in my love. What that's like. And so that you can be a blessing to others. So you'll learn how to love your neighbor as yourself too. But you've got to love him first. With all of your hearts. So let's stand this morning. And I'm going to pray for you. That God will help us all really, first and foremost, have a greater revelation of who He is. Just the reality of the Father's love and the, the idea of bruising His own Son for us and, and making that more real. But also, in the reality of that, letting go and, and giving Him the things in our lives, whatever that is, that are rightfully His, so that He can begin to work in our lives the way He wants to. He wants to use our lives just like He used Abraham. So Lord, I want to pray right now, Lord, for anyone here. Maybe there's some here this morning, they need to make it public. If there's an area of their life, they just they don't lay it down, or they do and they pick it right back up again. And it's because they haven't believed the report really, Lord. They still accuse you. They still, in some way, don't trust you. They don't think you will provide, Lord. Whatever it is, the fear, whatever it is, Lord, that's keeping them back, Lord, I pray you will remove it this morning. And if it takes for them stepping out and acknowledging that, Lord, I pray you would just draw them now, Holy Spirit. Anyone here, God's speaking to you about something. You want to make this altar a place of surrender. You want to make this altar a place where you lay it down by faith and you resolve not to pick it up anymore. And you resolve to seek the Lord. You resolve to do all the things so that you can learn how to love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. So anyone here that God is 
been dealing with an area maybe. He wants to take that from you today. Just step out in faith and come to Him and lay it at this altar this morning. He gave a call this morning. It was the same call. He's wanting your whole heart. 